Welcome to Nova Morganum, a podcast series from Uppsala University, produced live by researchers with an interest in interdisciplinary action and novel methods. In this podcast, you will meet guests who work in very diverse ways with academic knowledge production and often with expertise in its usefulness, from blue sky research to applied science, academic entrepreneurship or policy development. Today is our very first episode with Lars Heikenstein, former CEO of the Nobel Foundation, a position he held for 10 years. Lars has long experience of working across academia, state institutions and business, and has also figured in popular media for his strong commitment to academic values in times when alternative truths flourish. Welcome to Uppsala and my small office in the Ångström laboratory, Lars. Thank you. Have you been here before? Well, <coughs> I have not been at the Ångström laboratory, but I've been at the university, obviously. I uh, I have been here in my capacity as, as CEO of the Nobel Foundation, but perhaps even more so previously when I was with the Central Bank and the Minister of Finance, uh, because then I was invited often by the institutions uh, for economics uh, and political science and so on to give talks for the students about uh, uh, the practical need and usefulness of academic knowledge perhaps and also about how we worked in these institutions. Okay, but I also know that the Nobel laureates uh, come to the university and actually this, this building every year to give a lecture uh, but you haven't had the opportunity to join then? Well, uh, you know, they come the 5th and the 6th of December. And and the meetings here in Uppsala are usually the 12th and the 13th. And and by that time, I I, I met them a lot. And, I, and I'm not tired of them, but I'm pretty tired <laughs> after the week. Mm-hmm. And I have other things, you know, on my on my desk uh, so 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 I haven't had the opportunity to 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 uh, I've been invited but I haven't had the opportunity to come actually no but that's understandable too yeah. so. um I would like to talk uh, a little bit about uh, the knowledge production of Alfred Nobel in comparison to academic knowledge production uh, because obviously he was uh, schooled uh, as a child by for example a professor in chemistry uh, but then he seems to only have had loose connections to various academic institutions. But he did work quite systematically uh, with specific methodologies in mind and also archived his work and uh, stored it, what we today would see as a database uh, and so on. But um, do you have any feeling for his relation to academic knowledge production um, at that time? Well, I mean, he, <coughs> he, he grew up or spent most of his youth in St. Petersburg, which was at the time a very cosmopolitan city. And um, he got a very broad and good training. Uh, uh, so he, he, he in, in his whole life, he spoke several languages and he was involved with literature and 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 other things and but but he had a particular interest in in matters connected with chemistry and um, as as i understand it i mean he was 
very much working by himself. He was not uh, in an academic institution uh, at 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 the time, but but he seems to have followed academic work quite a bit. So he was updated on what went on, if I put it that way, but but um, not working in that kind of. Novel. Environment and he, as I understand it, he was not a theoretician really. I mean, he 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 was someone who was trying uh, in practical experiments, basically. Yes, and uh, I know that he was elected as a member of the Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences in 1884, and also an honorary doctorate at Uppsala University in 1893. So obviously. Uh, there were researchers within these institutions who appreciated his work a lot, and uh, well, I I would think so. I don't know the history in detail, but he was also already at that time quite wealthy, mm. and 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 uh, uh, and he was giving money to university activities and so on. So that that might have played a role also. Who knows? Yeah, as it does today as well, I guess. Yes, because I I do think that. Um, now we connect the Nobel Prize so much with academic knowledge production, whilst that might not have been so much obvious in the testament of Alfred Nobel. Or well, I, you know, I was thinking about that when you uh, uh, asked me about this this podcast. That in, in a in an, I, I sort of wonder how how much we would have known about Nobel. Had had he not uh, started with this or, or taken the initiative for the, for the prize, um, also he he was very much an uh, an entrepreneur. I mean, he was uh, um, developing a, a a good business and a fortune on the basis of his invention uh, and um, dynamite in particular, and. Um, um i i i think that that uh, this uh, uh big uh, company that he built with you know with contact all over the world and so on, i think that's very much part of his legacy as well yeah uh, more more so than, than the depth of his scientific thinking i think yes uh and and in a way it's more towards this academic entrepreneurship where today's researchers are demanded to patent their discoveries and commercialize them and start uh, successful businesses. It it seems almost as if um, that uh, is more of a a trend that has grown now in academia uh, and something that, you know, was more the way in which Alfred Nobel worked in the 19th century oh, and, and and I don't know enough about the history of science to really say how how to what extent he was uh, uh, sort of unusual at his time my my feeling is that that or my belief is that that it was actually quite typical at the time that people worked I mean they were no, probably more connected to universities than he was but it, it, it we're not talk, talking about a world when the science was driven by lar- large scientific teams, I think. Mm. So, uh, but, but when you, uh, you know, there was one thing I thought about when you talked about the price connected with basic science, that how we today 
look at the price uh, is perhaps more a consequence of who has gotten the price uh, than it is a consequence of Nobel as a person and what he uh, his own thinking or his own type of science and and uh, the 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 underlying thing there is that uh, that applies to all the different prices is that it should be to the greatest benefit of mankind so that's always there mm. uh, uh, but then in reality uh, uh, the institutions that have chosen the laureates uh, they have uh, sometimes chosen very ground-breaking basic research findings. and Sometimes they've, they've chosen people who have done more invention-like things. Mm. And that's a constant discussion going back and forth within these institutions, how much of one or how much of the other it should be. And I think that is just healthy. Yeah. Uh, uh, there is a strong belief, I think, in the Nobel system as, as a whole today that 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 basic research is very important mm. uh, and 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 many of the uh, more practical things that have have uh, been important for us originate after all in some basic research findings yeah, yeah. so 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 uh, uh, e- even though something might seem a little bit esoteric when it's rewarding the prize it it can very well be a very important uh, uh, part of the uh, of a development that, in the end, one can see leads to to uh, practically uh, apl- applicable things. Yes, it's of course very long term thinking in in lots of basic research, and, yeah. and you never know. And it's good that those. Uh, ways of producing knowledge are acknowledged. Uh, in the Sometimes, of course, this can lead to. Um, uh, it taking a, a, a very long time until something is becoming rewarded. You know, the newspapers speculate so and so happened last year. Why that? Why why doesn't it get the prize? Well, one wants to be reasonably sure that this actually is something which will have importance and mm. which and, and which will make a difference. I I I, I remember a story on that uh, uh, in, in the medicine prize for artificial insemination f- some 10 years ago or so uh, and was given to a person who was really very, very old. And it was questioned uh, at the press conference or in connection with the, this uh, happening that why he had not gotten the prize a lot earlier. You know, everybody should know that this was something which would be very important. And, and, and then the... the the, the the person from Karolinska said, "Well, you know, we wanted to see people who had been artificially inseminated. We wanted, or or who had been born through mm. that process. We wanted to see them in turn being able to get children. Mm-hmm. And then we felt that this was important enough. So that you know, that's an interesting. Uh, just demonstrates how how careful the process can be and how many different views one can have on it." Yeah, as the CEO of the Nobel Foundation, uh, you you didn't really have uh, that much uh, insight into the actual processes of, of choosing. No, among what the what I I so. you know I was never involved in that. Uh, in, in fact, I didn't even know in in advance who who would get 
the, the price. Uh, so so that's totally separated. Having said that, of course, uh, uh, I, I, I had an overall responsibility for, uh, the foundation has an overall responsibility for the Nobel Prize and how, it's, how the will of the Alpha Nobel is being handled. And that meant that I was um, forced sometimes to take part in discussions about these kind of things externally uh, so so f- partly for that reason and partly of curiosity i guess i i talked a lot with the people who were involved in the committees and so i think i have a fairly good overview of the various principles and cases that one can refer to how much time do you think uh, they spend on choosing these uh, winners well i you know i i of course it it, it differs, but but uh, there are nominations coming in in the in the beginning of the, the year, and we, we talk about hundreds of nominations, and uh, I, I think most of the prize categories have a version of a list, so to say, from one year to the other, uh, not in any formal way, but but in practical terms and so people are moving up and down on the list and sometimes new candidates are coming in and sometimes someone is moving really fast on this uh, Emmanuel Charpentier who got the, the, the prize last year in chemistry for example their finding is not so far back seven eight years I think or so and 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 there were two Russians who got the, the prize for graph for graphene some years ago and that was a fairly recent finding then three four years perhaps and so so sometimes it goes quick but but usually it takes a long time and the processes as i understand it are very th- thorough um, and 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 they take in help from outside consultants writing reports on the different candidates and so on so so, so it's a it's it's an ongoing process a very thorough process and that is very important because after all um the standing of the price is very, very strong. It says in Encyclopedia Britannica that it's the world's most prestigious price. <laughs> and, and so that's one indication, but, but I could give you a lot of indications of, of the standing. And, and that is, of course, fundamentally, it's based on the selection process. It, it is uh, how well the system manages to choose Nobel laureates. That is what will, in the, in the end, um, be decisive for the position of the price, I think. Yeah, I also wonder a little bit uh, about the knowledge production in the 19th century and uh, both the one that we broached uh, with Alfred Nobel, that he was more experimental and wild perhaps and leading to commercialization. So he was strategic uh, in a sense. Uh, and then we had uh, within the academic institutions at that time more and more disciplines under formation. Um, but now researchers are also asked to think more holistically and perhaps work on the edges of the disciplines to address the grand challenges of today and interconnected crisis that needs this holistic thinking. Um, and somehow it seems as if Alfred Nobel worked more holistically himself. I don't know, in, in, in these different types of uh, prizes that he decided and, and did set up. Um, but when we look at 
the Nobel Prizes that are you know given, um, they seem to be very much based within their discipline. Or or is this not so? Well, it's this this. Uh, uh, your your question gives me many different <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> First, I should say that if I look at the 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 subject that I know best economics. If you go back, let's say a hundred years ago, the leading figures there were very broad characters, sort of Renaissance characters, frequently, and not so specialized. And then there has been an ongoing special speciali- specialization uh, uh, over 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 the years and. And and perhaps it's not surprising that there is uh, one now sees a need for people being able to to, to talk across uh, borders, but also widen their 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 scope, because only specializing might lead to losing sight of what you know is really important, I guess. Um, but when it comes to to the Nobel Prize, I think we see um, this, this is a. This is an important question. I mean, the, the Nobel himself chose the subjects, um, and uh, you can see things in his. Although he didn't motivate it, you can see things in his background that explains perhaps. We, we can at least speculate on on why he chose certain things, um, uh, but but um, as 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 I said before, I mean, he fundamental for the prize is this idea of for the greatest benefit of mankind. So, I have no doubt that 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 he would himself have preferred a reasonably open interpretation of of what is chemistry, what is medicine. Um, but it's a natural discussion to have. I, you you remember when Bob Dylan got the prize in in in, in literature? You know the, the 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 hardcore literature people in on on the culture pages in the newspapers. They were dead against this because this was their day during the year. You know when they wanted to have have attention. Uh, and and here suddenly someone with another kind of background is get getting the prize. Personally, I I I think that for the Nobel Prize it's very good uh, to have a wide interpretation. And 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 and, and my my impression uh, from uh, from economics in particular, which I know best, is that they've really tried the committee, not least during recent years, to choose laureates within. Uh, 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 who, who are not only hardcore uh, economists, but who actually have a broader uh, approach. Uh, psychology with Kahneman as uh, as a good example. We have Amartya Sen, philosophy, Eleanor Ostrom, uh, political science, and so on. So uh, they've tried that, and as far as I can judge, the same thing is happening uh, within the uh, sciences. Mm. They are, and and they, I think they need to do that. I mean, we have now a, a whole new field, life sciences, that have been coming up, and it's not always clear. Is that medicine? Is that biology? Well, if they have someone who has done something really important, I think the person should get the prize, even if there are some people who believe that he or she is a biologist. Mm. And 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 uh, and as I already said, I think that for the Nobel Prize, it's, it's important to 
pick up the really important findings, the, the really groundbreaking research that's coming out. Mm. That's yeah. more important th- than being within a strictly defined field. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Is there any one uh, of the laureates that you met that have made uh, a, a very uh, great impression on you in regards to holding academic values high? Because I know that you yourself do do that. Um. Well, many of them do, and 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 uh, um, and uh, many of them take an interest. Uh, in 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 promoting science and uh, and uh, I, I think that um, the way you know times have evolved here with more questioning of 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 the importance of science in society, the more of them have been prepared to engage themselves in in both uh, just you know activities that stimulate not least young people, to go into science, uh, but but also to involve themselves in debates of various kinds. Mm. And I know that during your 10 years uh, in the Nobel Foundation, you also started to work more with outreach activities. Um, well, yes. Um, um, the as, as, as we alluded to before, I mean, the prize is... is, is um, has a unique position, and uh, you know Alfred Nobel would never have been able to guess that his prize would get the position that it has today, uh, and it stands for uh, for important things. It stands for the importance of science. It stands for human values as well. I should say with the Peace Prize and Literature and Prize and so forth, and and. Um, uh we felt that uh, with the position we had uh it was important to try to 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 do a meaningful work uh, standing up so to say or or pushing these things that nobel wanted to 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 support with this price um and that had happened before my time so so um uh, there were already museums in 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 Stockholm and in Oslo, for example. But what we've done is that we've developed a, a, a substantial outreach activities. We have meetings called Nobel Prize dialogues all over the world, where science meets society, and we have one day events that have been free usually and also broadcasted widely. Uh, wi- uh, uh, widely. Um, and and uh, here we could have Nobel laureates and others in the morning explain why where are we when it comes to genetics, for example, uh, or or when it comes to energy, or 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 or, and then a discussion in the afternoon with more people from the political sphere or business sphere, culture sphere, perhaps. Um, okay, if this is what's happening, what should we do? Mm. Yes, and you, you did say that this was not what Alfred Nobel would have thought his uh, testament would lead to, but it's a development um, that has been um, pursued by the Nobel well, Foundation. Yes, uh, I I think it's very natural. I mean, uh, he 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 Alfred Nobel wanted to achieve something. Okay, and, and so most important is, of course, that we see to it that. 
we choose, as we've talked about before, good laureates and that they reward good work. Um, but uh, uh, he, 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 you know, he, he, he was not just thinking in terms of a competition or something. I mean, he, he had a broader ambition. Mm. Uh, again, a better world. Okay, how can we contribute to that given the position we have? We, we are, after all, one, one of the best symbols, I would say, perhaps the best symbol for these values in the world today and not not trying to work in nobel spirit and and and, and use that position I, I think would would not have been right mm. yeah thank you uh, we will turn a little bit to your other work positions and um, you hold for example a doctorate in economics from stockholm school of economics in 1984 and uh, before you worked uh, with the Nobel Foundation, you acted as governor of Sweden's Central Bank. Um, and here also during your work at the Ministry of Finance, I know that you saw and became part of a transformation of how many Swedish state institutions operate in regards to an increased focus on academic knowledge production, critical thinking and novel methods. So during your your professional uh work uh, even previously uh, there has been this emphasis on using more academic knowledge and ways of producing knowledge so new methods within state institutions so so can you explain that and well i think it's uh, uh, it, during the this period let's say my personal case from 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 the early eighties and up until uh, up until now, we've had a, um, a situation where there have been more and more well-trained people available, more and more people with doctor's degrees, for example, uh, in economics available. So, th- th- so that's one factor. Another factor is that it that uh, our societies have become more open. And with that, uh, th- there has during this period been a need for more open communication uh, w- with the citizens, uh, w- with the politicians, um, and and uh, uh, that has uh, to do that well. You need to have critical thinking, and you need to have developed a uh, framework for your thinking, as it were. And and um, I, in in that, I think. In, in developing that, I think an academic background is something very valuable. Uh, that that's something I, I I have found at least. I I, I should say that that I was in a university institution where we had a lot of of uh, of policy discussions also, which of course is re- is relevant in the economic field. Um, so so uh, while people were Although people were doing groundbreaking deep research, there was also great interest in, in 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 discussing and 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 developing our thoughts uh, on practical things, and and I think that training was very very useful. And and um, uh, in 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 the when I was in the finance ministry, I was part of a process 
uh, where we draw draw in a lot of people with with good tra- uh, with with good training, and I think that you can almost see how the, if you look at the reports and things produced in the ministry, you can see how the level of these things uh, increased over 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 those years, and you can see how academia became more and more involved. Then I think, of of course, it also plays a role who is there. At at the time, uh, the finance minister was Shalulo Felt, and he and, and he had himself an interest in these matters. And 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 uh, you know who who is the ultimate receiver of your work? Uh, who that is 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 of course also important. And we can see later on that with different finance ministers, there has been a different willingness to take on and take in. Uh, in academically trained uh, people mm. with the central banks uh, this has been a generally international trend uh, or was during the 90s the central banks got indip- uh, got uh, independence uh, from the uh, uh, government and and uh, clear tasks clear responsibilities uh, uh, that, that that they were expected to achieve uh, uh, and that increased the importance of being able to communicate and formulate what you are doing, and and, and you couldn't rely on others uh, helping you in the debate, as it were, or 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 you couldn't blame others either. You had to stand up yourself and develop how you, how you were working with things. And this we did a lot uh, during my time at at the Riksbank. We have a framework, you could say, for monetary policy, which essentially is the same now as it was uh, in the, uh, let's say, in the middle of the 90s. And it was developed during that period. Mm, So in in detail, too, were there any new methods that came into that organization that you started to work with more actively than well as 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 has been clear from this i i i i i think the most important was to develop a culture with where where you have uh, uh, where you have an openness for new ideas and you have a discussion and you formulate your fundamental Methodology or fundamental way of working. Mm-hmm. Have, have, having said that, that, that there has been an enormous increase also in 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 econometric and statistical and and, uh, and the use of of econometric and statistical and economic methods mm-hmm. for the more specific analysis of where the economy is going. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, uh, it's it's a huge difference in 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 how an institution like the central bank works today and how it worked in the let's say eighties. Yeah. So you show two sides of this. It's very much the the culture of these organizations and the academic values that nurture that culture. And then on the other hand, more hands on methods yeah. in in yeah. how to do problem Absolutely. solving yeah. and yeah. and they yeah. stand there next to each and, other and and but we had a, a, you know you can describe this in many different ways but uh, i think that when i came to the Riksbank, we had you know there were perhaps five people with a doctor's degree something like that uh, and and 10 years later uh, there were 30 or so Mm. Uh, and, and I, you know that, that's not the only sign of what i'm talking about but it's an example of of something really happening and and the Swedish Central Bank was not unique this happened in many other places mm. although we perhaps changed more <laughs> rapidly than most at the time mm. 
So part of these academic values uh, might be, for some at least, uh, a lot of um, quite hard discussions. So you pursue arguments and uh, you have... uh, um, reasons for having a certain argument and then you meet others who have their reasons for other arguments and then you you have discussions mm-hmm. with each other uh, rather than, for example, what we also know from especially Swedish uh, organizations where we're good at consensus and so on. So how, how does this uh, academic culture that we now then know has... Uh, morphed into various other organizations than just universities. Um, how does that um, culture come about in relation to this consensual culture that also exists? Were were there frictions um, coming from these uh, holding academic values high and and uh, so on? Yeah. Well, first I should say that. Um, in the world, if we go back to the central banking uh, organization, uh, there uh, they tended to be very closed. If you go back to the seventies and eighties and so on, and, and and out came like the smoke when a new pope had been chosen, you know, in terms of an interest rate change. Uh, but everybody who thought about it were, of course, aware that there were must have been different views internally but they were not revealed, but they must have been there, or hopefully they were there, since the issues are not, uh, you know, uh, usually very clear. Uh, uh, so so um, uh, it, 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 in a way it was, uh, it helped create credibility in the, stu- in the institution that the fact that there was a discussion internally also became known externally. And and the process we now have with the Swedish Central Bank, which was introduced during, during this time with with minutes from the meetings, reflect this. So, so every, everyone who follows the Central Bank can see how the discussion is evolving within the Central Bank through these minutes, if not for from other sources. So it's more one has more or less institutionalized those uh, conflicts. And I think that's that's on the, the whole good. One should not be surprised that there are different views on on the difficult topics. Then, then I have to admit, of course, that sometimes it's led to problems. Sometimes so there were these different views became intermingled with personal aspects. And, and sometimes media exploited the differences and made them larger than they were, perhaps. Mm. Uh, so, so it's not an easy, uh, an easy road to follow. But, uh, but I, I, I would think that there is no way back. People would not accept uh, the monolith that we had before. Mm. Thank you. <clears throat> Lars has experienced quite some frictions himself and goes to great extent in supporting the academic values he finds fundamental. He seems unafraid of the conflicts that this personally crafted ethical position may lead to, something we will talk more about in the last part of this podcast, Novum Organum from Uppsala University.
So, Lars, what role do you think now in retrospect that your academic schooling and doctorate has played for you professionally? Well, I think it has been very important. The, 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 the reason, I should say, why I continued to study was pretty much the challenge, I think, and the curiosity uh, uh, and so forth. But, of course, it has shaped my 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 professional life a great deal. Um, most important, perhaps, is what we talked about a little bit before is is the training in 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 uh, developing thoughts and in uh, discussing and and and, uh, and that is something that I, that I really I think brought with me from uh, or has taken with me from academia. Um, also, I think it 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 has given me a, a security uh, that I would not have had otherwise. Uh, In terms of confidence, then, or yes, yes, I think so. Although I was not a very successful uh, uh, academic, I I I uh, know the world and I know how how it functions, and I think that helped me a bit when I was with the Nobel Foundation. That that you know it, it was not. Mit- uh, mystically, and when when anything like 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 that, I can understand how when some things came up in discussions and so on, I could help interpret them. And mm. them I think better having been in that world. Mm. But then then um, it, it 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 when I was in the central bank, I I often had long talks with former colleagues and and. and Friends of mine who were in academia and uh, and uh, had had the opportunity to sort of measure my own thoughts against uh, some of the most brilliant economists in the country, sometimes in the world, which was of course extremely useful and and could give me confidence also. Yeah, but um, have you ever been questioned or openly criticized for supporting a kind of academic and political elite? either during your work within these state institutions or even at the Nobel Foundation? Well, uh, it depends a little bit on what you mean. I mean, uh, sometimes, of course, uh, I can remember during my time in the finance ministry that when I when we had a practical or even political issue that needed to be solved, and I would... Uh, start, uh, you know, a more academic discussion that people would look at me and basically say, you know, uh, remember where you are. We, you know, we have to solve this now and so forth. So in that sense, of course, I, you know, uh, so sometimes people have 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 been tired of me wanting to to uh, elaborate something, you know, uh, that they did not feel was a, a, perhaps a meaningful process. We needed to get results. Uh, um, but but uh, if you take the broad the, the broader issue that that you are also uh, uh, perhaps uh, thinking about uh, if I have had any problems as uh, as as a person uh, after having been standing up for for academic values that I have not. Mm. No. Okay. Because. Uh, you know, despite the emphasis on free education for Swedish citizens and equal rights to higher education, um, 
isn't there something of uh, an active formation of a class society even in Sweden based on academic schooling? And, um, well, uh, I'm I'm sure there is something in what you are saying, and 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 uh, um, uh, it's a sad uh, thing that uh, we have. During the recent decades, not been so good as we were during the fifties and fifties and sixties and seventies in opening up education uh, to people from all parts of society. Uh, we have less mobility now uh, than we had before b- between different groups, different classes, as it were, and and uh, and um, that that I think is is really sad. And 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 if we have a, a, a basic school system, which which is not giving everybody a, a good background, and we don't have that right now, we were better off, I think, thirty years ago. Um, uh, then that will create inequalities in the future, and of course, it's not good for science either, because you will want to pick up all the talent you, you can in the system. Mm. I guess also. Politically, it has shifted a bit, and as you said, when we have talked about the history now and how academic knowledge production has been valued or not, how, how it has morphed into state institutions, and and not that these are waves that go up and down, and and um, wh- where do you think we are now in in Sweden and in the world with this? Because well, um, I mean, it's it's clear that that that. Over the ten years when I worked with the Nobel Foundation, over that period time period, um, uh, science had been more and more questioned, and and uh, e- e- even plain truth have been questioned, <laughs> as we all know. And 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 uh, I I thought that when I was talking about these things ten years ago, it it was pretty harmless. Every everybody. Uh, uh, you know, accepted the idea that obviously we should have uh, have a well-founded reasoning in our society, and obviously we should rely on science. Um, uh, and, but uh, in the end of this period, it was quite different, and and I had a very um, particular experience of this. I, I gave a talk uh, in Seattle two years ago, I think, a talk that I had been giving many times before even eight years before. And suddenly the, the people were applauding and, and, and were really enthusiastic in the public. And, I, and I, you know, I like to think that this was because of me having delivered the speech in a particular good way. But then after a while I realized that that was not the case. The, the thing was that they looked at my speech as being against Trump mm-hmm. uh, or, 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 or against those kind of, of movements. Mm-hmm. Um, which gave it a, a power that it hadn't had, uh, you know, eight, ten years earlier. Yeah. Now, it's an open question of how the how, how the pandemic will play out here. Mm. In, in politics, so far, the the pa- pandemic seems to have implied that the 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 more uh, science based parties have been doing better than 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 those who were more populist character mm. that that's i think the general trend yeah. uh, in the, in the western world but but um, and of course the pandemic on the one hand it has that's how i read it it has really demonstrated the importance of science and global united efforts to deal with science mm. but of course it has also exposed people having different views yeah 
and 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 the man in the street might you know conceive that as as basically meaning that why should why should we listen to science mm. and but they don't agree no, anyway no the scientists yes and here we we do start to hear a bit of your uh, personal affection for academic values because you've also stood up for these in relation to the development of swedish politics so not only being applauded yeah. in in uh, in a speech abroad so to say and how um uh So in a way you have you have said that if you don't agree with these academic values you're not welcome to to celebrate the the Nobel laureates together with us uh, and so on. But what I'm more curious about is how you uh, personally are able to stand strong in in that sort of um, uh, argumentation where you must feel the the frictions. Well, that's a difficult question to 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 answer. I think I pretty much have it with me from 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 home. I mean, my parents were 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 teachers and 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 and, uh, and stood very much for sort of you know democratic uh, values and the need for rational uh, decision making and. And that was a very, very strong trend in 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 our societies when I grew up. I would say mm. in the fifties, sixties, and seventies. And that, but there was there was a belief, a very strong belief, that by relying on 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 science and on facts and and, and, and trying uh, seriously different policy questions and so on, we could improve our society. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm very happy that you came here today, despite the the problems with COVID that we still have. So we kept a very long distance here in my office, and um, yes, I I wish you the best for your Thank time you. now after this long work with the Noble Foundation, and uh, it was great having you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.